The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, this is Eric Savitz. I'm Associate Editor for Technology at Barron's, and this is Tech Trader on Barron's Live, a periodic discussion of issues relating to tech and tech investing. Today, we're going to be talking about online advertising, a very timely topic. Um, and we have a um, special guest with us today, Anthony Katzer, who is the CEO of IEB Tech Lab, who sits at the center of this issue um, around the future of digital advertising. Anthony, thank you for being with us today. Thank you for having me, Eric. So, Anthony, first of all, let's do a, a little bit of level setting here. Um, the first thing is, tell people a little bit, first of all, what IEB is, the Internet Advertising Bureau, and then a little bit about what IAB Tech Lab does, and then we'll get into the juicy stuff. Sure. So um, uh, the Internet Advertising Bureau, uh, I'm trying to remember the year it was created, uh, really was created to set the um, business standards of Internet advertising uh, uh, in the U.S. How uh, everything from, you know, what is an impression? How is an impression delivered? Um, uh, what are the constructs around an insertion order by which media um, was and still is bought and sold uh, across the digital advertising landscape? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, they work with everyone from publisher. You know, they started as really a publisher centric, publisher focused organization mm-hmm. uh, and have since um, uh, uh, expanded to working with uh, agencies, uh, brands. Um, uh, very, you know, ad tech constituents uh, across the U.S. Um, and then about eight eight years ago, um, we may be right around the eight year anniversary. The Tech Lab was spun out of the IAB um, mm-hmm. as a global organization. So the IAB, as we know, the IAB U.S. is U.S. focused. Mm-hmm. Now there are other IABs across the globe um, uh, that have trademarked the IAB brand um, and IAB U.S. works very closely with other IABs around the globe. The Tech Lab is a global organization that is responsible for setting the technical standards uh, in, in terms of how internet advertising or digital advertising is delivered. So, for example, the RTB protocol, the real-time bidding protocol, which is an auction, uh, a media auction protocol, uh, is stewarded by the IAB and billions and billions of dollars of transactions are powered by the RTB protocol. So that's something that the Tech Lab um, continues to evolve and advance in participation with uh, our, our working groups, which consist of 750, close to eight to 800 companies at this point around the mm-hmm. globe. We have, uh, I think, 25 now working groups that focus on things like the RTB protocol, uh, privacy and identity working groups, um, video standard working groups, CTD working groups. And uh, across those 800 companies, it also consists of about, about 2,800 people around the globe that participate and contribute to tech lab standards across across the globe. So think of us, if you will, as like the, you know, loosely compare us to the W3C 
or the IETF, but for digital advertising. Right. That is okay. it, and and it, it's important in part because I think one thing that, that people who aren't close to this don't always realize is the sheer level of complexity of the online advertising ecosystem is really high. Like people think of technical complexity, they think of, um, you know, microprocessors or, uh, uh, or, you know, uh, or, or networking or like kind of physical complexity. But, but it is true, right? Like that the level of complexity, the number of layers to this uh, uh, cake, if you will, is, is super complicated. There's a lot of moving parts here. Yeah, it's an incredibly complex uh, ecosystem. It, you know, again, including everything from media transactions uh, to you know how how media is actually bought and sold in a real time basis or even an upfront basis. That is all governed, managed through technology. There's a lot of automation uh, in the digital advertising ecosystem uh, to things like measurement and attribution. How did my ad dollar perform? What was my return on ad spend? Uh, you know, how do I use that to make future media investment decisions? How do I use that to optimize uh, through data science my current campaign that's running? Um, how do I count an impression when it's delivered to a web page or even to your smart TV? Um, all of that is all of that is again governed or, or stewarded through the tech lab with our with our working groups and our members. Um, but there's myriad vendors that get involved in all of those facets that I just mentioned. Okay. So um, I, I want to drill down a little bit on, on, on one topic that's been uh, much on the mind of certainly investors in this space, which is uh, the sort of battle over privacy. Um, and in particular, some of the measures that Apple has taken and which Google has talked about taking um, to make it uh, to, to, on the one hand, uh, focus on consumer privacy and then on the other hand, um, address uh, the flip side of that, which is the way that those decisions, particularly that Apple has made, has affected the ability of um, online advertising platforms to target their advertising. Um, of course, the, our listeners will know that uh, Meta, the Facebook parent, or renamed Facebook, um, had a huge issue last quarter or disclosed a huge issue last quarter where they talked about the impact on their business from Apple's changes in their privacy policies. Let's uh, let's venture into this uh, messy space uh, a little bit. And, um, and maybe we could start by talking a little bit about what what the core issue is and what Apple has actually done here and why it's had such a dramatic impact on this, um, uh, the ability to target. Sure. So Apple's ATT framework, which is advertising tracking and transparency framework, has effectively has effectively removed or mitigated the use of third party identifiers or really almost any form of identifier across the Apple OS ecosystem, whether it be iOS or your Mac OS on your iPhone or your tablet or your, your Mac. Um, uh, they've basically eliminated or, again, very heavily mitigated the use of any form of uh, identifier across that ecosystem. And right. so, so just to be clear about what that means, right? So pre-ATT, before Apple's made this decision, mm -hmm. um, Facebook, Snap, Twitter, a few other players were able to get data on 
what an individual might be doing on other things on their iPhone, say, for example, right? Yeah. So I'd, I'd be able to find out, um, not by name necessarily, but by some unique identifying identifier, some like some piece of data that identifies this is an individual person who visited this website and used this app and did these things on their phone. And, and, and the implication, of course, is then, well, now we know more information that will make it easier for us to target advertising that that person is likely to respond to. Is that fair? Yeah. In the, in the simplest terms, um, think of um, there, there used to be what was called the IDFA in the Apple iOS ecosystem, um, the identity, uh, the identifier for advertising. Think of that as the equivalent of the cookie or the third party cookie in your browser. Right. Um, Apple introduced in Safari, their browser, they, they've basically blocked the third party cookie. It's, it's, it's turned off by default. A consumer can enable right. it. And, and just to be clear, a third party cookie is the same idea, right? It's the idea that that uh, some website you visit can leave a little teeny piece of code behind and and then see where else you go. That's exact. That's exactly right. So third parties, therefore the third right. party cookie, can mint a token, which is a you know it's a it's a it's basically a, a very uh, it's a simple string. Um, it's not it's not necessarily directly tied to any kind of PII. Mm -hmm. um uh th there are there are questionable or bad actors in the industry that could uh work work to reverse engineer that to pii and that was one of apple's primary concerns is uh, protecting the privacy of their users um but that was that was removed from both safari and the rest of the apple os uh os ecosystem mm -hmm. so what that the 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 industry, the digital advertising industry is largely based on this concept of addressability and the ability to learn more and understand more about the consumer to show them relative advertising based on, um, you know, based on websites they've visited, content that they've read, uh, even in some cases, you know, empty shopping carts. Um, they would then retarget, hey, you left this in your shopping cart. Um, and that was based on this concept of leaving some form of token, again, non-identifiable, um, you know, your name, your, your name and home address wasn't in there. It was really just a randomly generated set of uh, alphanumeric characters, but that was unique to you and your browser or your device um, in order to make smarter advertising, you know, generate smarter advertising offers to the consumer. So when, you know, Apple took, you know, a rather draconian approach and just, you know, without little conversation with the advertising ecosystem or, or, or the media industry just removed it. Um, right. They effectively, and, correct me if I'm wrong, but I guess they effectively said um, they made it opt in, right? Like, so basically correct. you have to agree pro pro uh, you have to proactively agree. I agree. You can track me around uh, the web. That and so correct. when you get, download a new app to your phone, it'll ask you, unless you have a setting that says never, never accept those questions, which you can do. But like if you, if you'll ask you, would you like us to be able to track you? I don't know the exact language, but the implication is then we'll send you more directed offers or whatever that kind of information. Yeah. But people generally say no, right? I mean, people don't usually opt into that, do they? Yeah, the, the 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 majority have not opted in. Um, I don't remember the exact percentage that have, but some some have and some do. Um, some I think some recognize 
look, advertising is not going away in the, in digital media. Advertising is not going away on the internet. And I think some right. folks do realize like, well, I might as well get more relevant advertising than less relevant advertising. Cause you know, if you look at the internet, it is largely ad subsidized or fully funded. Um, yeah. And again, it's so effective because it's been so addressable through these use of tokens known as cookies or IDFAs um, and Android, you know, Android has their own version of that as well on, on their devices. Um, uh, but yeah, they made it, they made it opt, opt in. So default opt out and the consumer has to opt in. So um, obviously, you know, as, as we said at the top here, like that has had a clear impact on uh, financial results for some of these companies and they are working on solutions uh, or maybe solution isn't the right word. They're working on other ways to try and collect uh, indications that will help them better target uh, uh, advertising. And also to, to do, and we should talk about the attribution part too, which is a little more complicated in some ways. Are, are they making progress? Is it Meta and Snap and the other players who are addressed by this problem well, well we as an industry collectively are working on ivy tech lab is is stewarding a number of initiatives uh by which we can still maintain an addressable internet um for more precision you know more precise ad targeting again to continue to support or subsidize all the free content news investigative journalism entertainment that really consumers don't have to pay for um, because it's supported by advertisers. So, you know, whether it be Meta or Snap, uh, Google, others, like the IB Tech Lab also is stewarding a lot of initiatives around privacy enhancing technologies, which is how do we maintain an addressable ecosystem in a way that is a highly data secure for consumers. So nothing could be reverse engineered to be tied back to them privately. Um, how do we make sure we have clear notice and consent to ask the consumers um, for use, you know, to be able to use some form of data from them and then through privacy enhancing technologies, which in the simplest description of that is how do we then very securely encrypt that information um, and, and, and continue to have some form of encrypted token by which we can at least have somewhat relevant uh uh, advertising to consumers. Um, we're working on standards around um, publisher-defined audiences based on you know specific you know what they're doing within a specific publisher from a contextual perspective. So the industry at large uh, and Tech Lab is very much involved in this. Is working on myriad solutions by which we can balance consumer privacy, which you know consumers are spoken either mm -hmm. through their regulators, consumers are speaking through big tech like Apple. Um, they want their privacy. They want their privacy respected, um, and when they do opt in, they want the data to be as secure as possible. Um, so there's no egregious or malicious invasion of their privacy. So the industry at large is working on this solution. Right, and 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 I presume it's going to take take state sort of the obvious, like take a fair amount of time to get this. To reach, I, and I don't even, I'm not sure it's a solution exactly, like in, in the sense of like there's a, you know, we, we reach some sort of endpoint as it is to offset some of the impact of the changes that Apple and Google are making. Yeah, there's no silver bullet. So um, there's no silver bullet to replace the third party cookie or the third party identifier on consumer devices. It's going to require a portfolio approach of um, you know, data security solutions. 
whether it be encryption, whether it be things like differential privacy, where you're scrambling, uh, you're I'm trying not to get too technical, where you're scrambling signal, basically. So again, right. you, you're basically de-identifying uh, even something that's already anonymous, you're scrambling. It's almost like two layers of privacy protection. Right. Um, you know, we're looking at, we're also looking at solutions, call it fuzzy attribution. So advertisers know at least directionally, it may not be the signal that we've had in the past, but mm -hmm. at least directionally, like where are my ad dollars driving the greatest performance, whether that is a purchase, whether that is brand lift or awareness, whatever the, the, the KPI of the advertiser is, um, we're working on myriad solutions um, that there's going to be no, again, there's no silver bullet here. It's going to have to be a portfolio of solutions that um, agencies and brands and their partners are going to have to weave together to get a attribution picture of right. where their odd dollars are performing and hitting. Their yeah. And so I want to touch a little bit more on attribution because I think it's a part of the pie that maybe the average person doesn't know as much about. Right. So they targeting is seems straightforward. It's like, well, how do I get the right ad in front of the right person who might be interested in the product? Attribution is at the other end. How do I how do I know that my advertising worked? How do I know that, you know, Anthony saw this ad on on Facebook or some other place on the web and then later at some later date, maybe, or maybe, maybe the same day, maybe right then, I'm, it could vary, um, ha, then took an action, presumably made a purchase, but maybe signed up for something or did some other action. How much of the problem here is about attribution as opposed to targeting? Like, like, is it an equal, is one problem more difficult than the other here in terms of the changes that have been made in IDFA, et cetera? There are two sides of the same coin. Um, so targeting is, you know, you, you are targeting specific audience demographics or cohorts, people that may have affinities for certain categories or topics or even brands. Um, uh, and then you're going to then target against that targeting model. Um, so let's just say new homeowners, right? You're, you are a retailer that wants to target new homeowners you build a data model of what, you know, of a, of a cohort of new, new homeowners. Um, and that data model could be seeded in something that maybe has higher fidelity signal, like some encrypted email address, right? Mm -hmm. So it's usually encrypted or double encrypted again for that data security. You then start to look at, um, you know, other folks that may, you know, you set your advertising campaign in motion targeted towards new homeowners. And then you start to look at how others that maybe you haven't identified as new homeowners are reacting to that advertising and then perhaps either clicking on it or going to that website, you know, within 72 hours. So there's two forms of attribution. There's post click, which is directly associated with a click on an ad, mm -hmm. or there's post view where someone saw someone saw an ad and then took action 24, 48, 72, 96 hours later. And there's either full credit or partial credit that gets attributed to that ad. Um, so that's targeting. Um, and you start to build a profile out of other folks that may have taken interest in that ad. And again, you don't know who that person is. You're just like, oh, we got to click on this ad that was not in the, in the core, in kind of the seed audience. Right. Attribution is the flip side of saying, okay, where now did I find new homeowners? Where did they take some action again, whether it was explicit conversion, whether they just went to the site and browsed, you know, window shopped on the retailer's website, 
that's the attribution piece is looking at the, the performance of how the targeting worked. And those two very much are uh, in sync with one another because as the campaign is live and running, agencies with their advertiser partners can then modify the targeting. They can repurpose or reallocate budget to what's best performing. They mm -hmm. can pull budget away from what's least performing. Um, so attribution is where they're looking at where is this performing? They can modify their targeting. Right. Many advertising campaigns have multiple targets and they can be like, look, this target A is outperforming B and C dramatically. Right. Maybe we stop targeting target C and we we invest more in A and B. Um, so that's the attribution piece is understanding. It's the an analysis of where am I, how my targeting is performing where it's performing and where do I push media, where do I push advertising budget to drive yeah. more of that performance? I, I always think of the old, uh, I mean, in a sense, this is the oldest problem in advertising. Is, yeah. I mean, is, this uh, is right. This is the, there's a famous quote from John Wanamaker who was the, I know half my, uh, I know half my advertising budget's working. I just don't know which half. <laughs> right. And so that's the problem is, can we figure out which half? Okay. So I want to change gears on you a little bit and talk about another uh, topic, which is um, uh, ad supported television. And now, the idea that we we had to talk about that as ad supported television obviously is reflects the change in the world of television where uh, we really have several different models for watching television we of course all now we all are subscribers to Netflix and other subscription services um, many of which do not have any advertising except maybe for other programming on the same service uh, there's uh, uh, ad supported streaming which is sometimes called avod mm -hmm. right so uh, this is uh, this is a service like the Roku channel or Tubi or Pluto services that uh, you can pick what you want to watch, but you're still going to see advertising uh, against the programming. And then, of course, there's uh, old school linear TV where you turn on the TV and, uh, you know, 57 channels and nothing on is Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> so um, so so uh, so so the interesting question here for advertisers is how they and, and of course, television remains a very powerful advertising Medium, the most uh, powerful. Know, the, the one, the, you know, the few things that the kind of shared moments in culture now are things like the Super Bowl, where uh, mm -hmm. yeah, you still get a large audience. Mm -hmm. And so the question is, uh, one, is is the, are you a believer that the AVOD model, which has so the problem I have always seen with the uh, AVOD model is viewership tends to go to is is at the end of the day is based on content. Um, most of the most popular content uh, now is available to stream on, you know, you look at the things like the Emmy Awards or the, the Academy Awards and lots of the content, films and television both are, are on streaming services that have a subscription element. Not all of it, but a lot of it. Mm -hmm. And so the question is whether there's how advertisers feel about AVOD in how you think about the future of linear TV. I mean, the, honor, the irony is that there's still a huge amount of viewing time that goes on linear TV, which we tend to ignore. Uh, I think there's sort of an elites problem here where we, we don't want to watch, you know, who adds yucky. Uh, but so we watch a lot of, you know, Netflix and HBO. Talk a little bit about your take on that whole environment. Look, I, I grew up, my entire career has been in digital. Um, so I, I, am a digital kid, but, um, I think we would be, uh, I think it would be silly to dismiss linear television, um, so quickly, uh, to, to your point, there are, 
you know, particularly around sports, live shared events, live shared experiences um, that people talk about later over social media, or, you know, the new water cooler, if you will. And then there's still, you know, there was in the late 90s and early aughts, there was there was some term going around like content is no longer king. Uh, I never bought into that. Content will always be king. Mm-hmm. No, that's why pe- people do- people show up for television viewing for the content. <laughs> um, well, maybe with the exception of the Super Bowl, there are people that are there for the ads, but ads yes. are a form of content, right? So, right. like maybe then that, that, that is the that is the primary but, case where that's true, right? right? So, um, and that is a form of content. Um, number one, I think it, it always starts with phenomenal content, and you know, it, it, the, the, there's no. There's no secret like the playbook behind that is is pretty clear. Like as long as linear continues to invest in and deliver quality content, eyeballs are going to show up. Now, the the delivery mechanisms are changing. We're going from, you know, if you look at, you know, the cable systems, that's based on a qualm system, which is a protocol, you know, and CTV is based on IP. It's based on IP, the internet protocol, right? I think from a consumer perspective, um, I think at the end of the day, there will be subtle, there'll be subtle changes in the consumer experience, CTV much more on demand, but linear is also delivering now an on, you know, an on demand product. They've responded to that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, linear's had VOD for quite some time. Um, uh, you know, I think, you know, kind of unlimited DVR on the cloud, you know, so there, there are going to be subtle, I think those are subtle, positive changes for the consumer experience. But at the end of the day, whether it's broadcast, whether it's linear, or whether it's CTV, it's just television. The consumer, it's that lean back. Right. I want to escape. I want to want. I just want to. I want to get involved with these characters. Forget about my real life for a while, and just get engaged with this content. So at the end of the day, it is just TV. Now, the the the. I think the advertising experience for consumers will also somewhat subtly change. The level of precision advertising that could be done through CTV is much more advanced than what happens today in linear and broadcast today. Um, that's mm-hmm. not to say that, you know, broadcast and linear are, are working on addressing that. Um, but I think there's going to be much more, call it customized advertising. We could be neighbors and I may, we may be watching the same program on a CTV app. You may get a different app than I get. Right. right. That doesn't that doesn't necessarily happen in linear and broadcast today. Right. So the advertising experience, I think, will 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 change uh, over time. Um, but make no mistake, there's no question that, you know, linear is has a massive footprint, I think, based on my latest numbers. I think it's I think it's going to do about 67 billion, 66 or 67 billion in top line revenues this year. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is still a massive, massive market. Right. Um, but you know, CTV is again, uh, you know, quickly ascending um, as as where the eyeballs are going to go um, in the future. Regarding AVOD, um, I think AVOD has a place to play. I think the future of CTV is going to be largely a hybrid model. I think you're going to be looking at your premium subscription base, no ads. Mm-hmm. I think you'll be looking at a middle tier, some ads. And I think you'll be looking at a free ad, free tier, which will be ads completely ad funded. I mean, Hulu has model very much like this. There are others that have models like this. So I don't think AVOD is out of the question. I just think it's a question of how much does the consumer want to pay for their TV for whether it be a specific 
a show or whether it be for a specific television app is where this is where this is is going i mean if i were me personally i think it's going to land somewhere in the middle i think consumers will tolerate ad load reasonably light ad load in exchange for a more cost effective viewing experience because again if you look at the ctd landscape you know it's so fragmented it's like okay if I want to go watch, you know, all this different programming, I've got to subscribe to probably in my house, I'm subscribed to no less than five different CTV apps. Yeah, right? I think we have more. And when you <laughs> when you add those up, it starts to approach your cable bill. Yeah. right? So you're like, wait a minute. Is it you know a little bit like meet the new boss? Same as the old boss. Like, yeah. and there's. Yeah, no I had one of those moments last night. Uh, the uh, the new season of. Um, Better Call Saul just started on AMC and realized. Don't tell me anything. I'm going to watch it tonight. <laughs> I, I won't tell. I won't give you. Don't give anything away. Except that you have to figure out whether you, you know. Like I think they'll let you watch one episode for free, and then you either have to wait around or watch the ad supported version. Or like, so it's like it's another service that I hadn't really thought about until like since you know the last season two years ago. Um, yeah. I do want to, you have, I want to touch on one other thing on this topic, which I, I know from when we were preparing for this discussion, uh, you have a very particular point of view about Netflix. And this is a, this is, there's a, there's a, 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 a very uh, high profile debate about whether Netflix should add advertising. And, you know, you talk to some of the analysts on Wall Street, and there are a few of them who swear up and down that this is the magic elixir for, uh, for Netflix, and they will uh, they need to add uh, add this to continue to drive subscriber growth. I would note, by the way, as we talk, that they're going to report earnings in uh, you know four or five hours from now. Um, but five, I guess. Um, but but uh, uh, but Netflix to date, Reed Hastings, the CEO, has basically said we're not doing that. Doesn't we? We don't. We don't want to do that. We have no plans to do that. I think is actually the phrase they use, which is a little different than saying we're not going to do that. Um, I know you have a long-standing point of view on this. Tell tell people what you think. Oh, I, I think Netflix will have an ad supported model uh, at some point. I don't, I don't know exactly when, but I think at some point I've held that stance for, I don't know, the past four or five years. So I'm with that. I think you said subset of analysts that are like, yeah. they are, they are, they are staunch, uh, you know, they are staunchly, uh, uh, belie staunch believers in the fact that Netflix will have an ad model. I, I am with those analysts. I think at some point that will happen when I have no idea um, I think leave it up to the consumer again, consumer choice. Let, you know, look, you can still pay what's Netflix. I'm, I'm a Netflix subscriber. I mean, what's it? 1599. I think that's the tier I'm at. Like, like leave it, leave it up, leave it up to the consumer. If a consumer's like, look, I'll take a slightly, you know, go with that, go with the hybrid model, right? Fully ad supported free hybrid model, less ad load, or, um, you know, pay for no ads. I think if you leave it up to consumers, they'll make their choice. I will say I will say further to that. I think if Netflix opened up an ad-supported model, I think advertisers would run screaming <laughs> to Netflix, saying, "Take my money! Take my money!" Um, uh, you know, it, it's a it's an absolutely fantastic product, soup to nuts, from the programming to the user experience. Like it is, um, you know, they're not a Tech Lab board member. Like just to be right. clear, they are not on Tech Lab board because um, they have no advertising. Right? They have so, no advertising. But I mean, it is it is a supreme user experience with phenomenal content. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I, I think, yeah. I think maybe it becomes a matter of, uh, you know, with, with uh, Netflix 
investors tend to focus on their subscriber growth. If there's a few quarter, you know, there's that's the that is always the concern for Netflix investors is their ability to drive subscriber growth. And if uh, if they can drive more eyeballs uh, and the math works. Um, and, and I always think uh, that, you know, there, there may be particular markets, um, you know, they have a large some of their fastest growing markets are um, in places like India, where they have lower cost you know, subscription plans and uh, where, you know, people are largely connecting on phones and uh, like there's just a different, slightly different dynamic. And it is conceivable that like in a market like that, um, there might be a, a lot of merit to, to doing that. But we haven't yeah. seen this yet. There are consumers of myriad walks of life, no matter where you live, uh, 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 what, uh, you know, what income range you have that are perfectly comfortable with advertising. Like they'll, you know, I would probably do the, the hybrid. <laughs> like I would probably. Well, go and I will say one life. of the interesting elements to this uh, is uh, that where I think you get an interesting sort of cross currents is around sports on streaming. Right. Yeah. So, Apple has started doing uh, baseball, for example, on Friday mm -hmm. night. They, I haven't actually seen the, how they, the, their package yet, so I'm not sure what they're doing about advertising. But the nature of sports uh, is particularly like baseball built around, you know, half inning increments with a break in between or yep. football with, you know, timeouts and quarters and all of those kinds of things. Uh, people are quite comfortable with the idea that there's going to be advertising yeah. during the course of those games. And in fact, it's not entirely clear what you would do otherwise. Right. So I, I think um, and then, of course, when that crosses, you know, the paths of like like Apple um, or Amazon, which are uh, largely um, uh, subscription supported services, uh, it's an interesting moment for them to figure out maybe there is a way for them to do advertising supported content. And I think there's a way for them. Again, the, fa the fact that the one thing I'll say about CTV versus legacy forms of television is that um, there's the opportunity in the CTV ecosystem, no matter who you are, to, I think, innovate very quickly and introduce perhaps new forms of advertising that may not be as, you know, the spot is disruptive. I mean, all forms of advertising are disruptive. Whether you're thumbing, if you're thumbing through a magazine, and you get that big full page ad like that's a disruption to your reading experience. But advertising supposed to be, it's supposed to be disruptive. It's meant to get your attention. Like it's, it's the brand saying, yeah. Hey, I'm here, try my product. Right. right. Um, so people that's, you know, digital advertising disruptive advertising has been disruptive since the beginning of advertising. So um, I, but I do think uh, the CTV companies uh, and even the legacy, even the legacy uh, uh, broadcasters and networks, you know, NBC, uh, you've got uh, NBC Peacock, you've got uh, you've got Viacom CBS and the Paramount Plus um, offerings and, and many others. I think there's an opportunity for them to become even more innovative from an advertising experience where maybe it's not the, the traditional spot. And because they own basically the entire text infrastructure soup to nuts, it's an app on your television. They basically own the app. They don't have to interface with the cable companies or roll new set-top boxes. Like they can really test out new right. forms of television advertising that consumers may even say, "Oh, that that was cool," like, or "That wasn't disruptive," or "Hey, I paused, I paused the show." Even a lot, even live sports, you can pause that, and they throw up an ad for either cross-promoting another show or for a brand, or like. So I think there's ways right. for for CTV to really test and iterate new forms of advertising and television. 
So I want to touch, we're, we're, we're a little over time already, but I, I do want to just touch on one other thing uh, uh, briefly, which is uh, one of the most, uh, one of the other large phenomenon on social media right now is TikTok. Now, TikTok has built an immense business in a relatively short period of time. Um, there's some data, I think, last week from eMarketer that basically said they're going to grow revenue like 200% this year. They're going to be the, like the equivalent in size of Twitter plus Snap. Um, so like they've become a big, big player. And I, I, I wonder um, how you think about them and how worried you think the other players should be about, you know, they're, they're, they've got an audience, well over a billion users now. I mean, they're not quite Facebook size, but they're, they're a, they're a monster. I think they're a juggernaut. I think, I think they are definitely in hyper growth. Um, anyone and everyone is talking about TikTok. Um, you know, I, I would say they've got a rather elegant inline advertising model. You're scrolling mm -hmm. through, there's the ad, like it's, it's very much built in to, uh, to the experience. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, I think they're, they're on a, they're on a tear. I don't, I don't know if there's any question in full disclosure. I mean, TikTok is, TikTok is on our, uh, is a member of tech lab. Um, are, are they, are they, are they effective in terms of targeting? Are they like approaching like the kinds of, do they have the kinds of tools at their disposal that we've seen from, you know, Meta and others? I'm not close enough to their advertising platform uh, internally. So I, I don't know. Um, but I mean, just advertisers, and I want to, I'm generalizing a little bit here, but advertisers yeah. love scale and a billion users. It, you've got scale. You've got a lot of scale. <laughs> um, so I think, you know, just on their scale story alone, um, I, I think they're, I think they're, they're poised to be certainly quite, quite successful. Um, yeah. Yeah, they already they are they are already. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, I I the only thing I, you know I've referred to them in other conversations like they're 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 a juggernaut right now. Their growth is, and again, they're they're still in the early days of adoption. So I think you're just going to see continued uh, hyperbolic growth out of them for the foreseeable future. Great. We are like ten minutes over, <laughs> so I'm gonna uh, we're gonna stop. Um, thank you so much for being with us, Anthony. This is a great conversation. I look forward to talking uh, to you more in uh, the months ahead. There's there's going to be a lot to talk about. That much we can be uh, we can be sure of. Absolutely, um, it's been my pleasure. And thanks everyone else uh, for joining us today. Um, really appreciate that. Please join us uh, for Barron's Live tomorrow. Uh, the financial news uh, reporter Penny uh, Sukraj uh, will be speaking to. Uh, Bank of America's uh, Ebony Thomas, who's the senior VP of uh, ESG uh, for the bank, and J. Ter Derek Penn, who's the author of, of a book called Diary of a Black Man on Wall Street. They'll be talking about privilege on Wall Street, what it might take to affect change and inclusivity, and what that means for investors. A little bit different topic, but also an important one. Thanks to all of you for being with us again, and please be well and stay safe. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.